Welcome to Ira's Everything Bagel, where I talk with intriguing people about everything, their passions, pursuits, and points of view. My guest today is Jeffrey Michelle. He's author of Trust is a Double-Edged Sword. Trust me. Available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and all the usual places. And you can follow him on LinkedIn and YouTube. And Jeffrey, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Your book is about an interesting subject because it is something all of us get involved in one way or the other in our lives, and that is trust. What drove you to write the book? Because it's a fascinating background, and then we'll get into the particulars of the book. Terrible violation. I had a crooked partner, a thief, a sociopath, a fraudster, fake names, fake images. And I changed it from a sociopath to a psychopath because his wife went off a terrace last year in Boca Raton, Florida. Mother of three usually don't jump off terraces. Huh. And uh, I had to shut down my company in 2019. It was very costly, very painful experience. And I got really mad at myself. And I really got angry because I trusted this person implicitly. I knew him 20 years. He ran operations. You know, I was a rainmaker. And there were things that were bothering me, and I kept kicking the can. I didn't take responsibility, and I wound up getting severely hurt. And I got so angry, I started pinning the insane things that this person did, and it, it was just it was limitless. There was so much. And then I was standing in my apartment. I was in Manhattan at the time. I'm looking out the window, and I'm saying to myself, you know what? Trust in this country is at an all-time low. You know, I've got some gray hair. I've been around a while, and I've seen a lot of things. I would say that I've never seen things as bad as they are in terms of the hatred out there, the separation. No one trusts anybody, anything. I would even discuss, you know, politics because, you know, I have very strong views in that regard. And I started doing massive research. And then I realized that trust is the core to everything we do in our lives. Everything in our lives, the pillar is trust. And I went into so many things other than the story of my crooked partner that is relevant to everybody. So I wrote the book really the purpose of which is to make us much more aware. It's a great idea to get your anger and disappointment out in that way. It, it was a great cathartic experience, but and at the same time, you're sharing it with other people so they could get some insight into the whole concept of trust. And what's interesting, too, is you say in, in the opening to your book, you may be getting agitated by what I am stating. And if you are good, it means that what I am saying is finding its mark. And you go further, you say, if you are not reacting, then you are avoiding. So I want you to ponder the word trust and what it means to you. I don't care what it says in a dictionary. I want to know what it means to you, unquote. So that's a fairly long snippet that I just quoted, but it's important to set the tone of what your book is about. You're realistic, and at the same time, you have ideas that can work for people that read the book about trust, getting a sense of what it means to them, and then how they apply it in the real world. Would that be a fair summation? It covers it fairly well. I mean, it, it, the real essence is we are responsible for ourselves and we're responsible for what we do. We're responsible for things we don't do. And it, I, I really emphasize that is because I want the reader to be honest with themselves and to really think about it. And I share, as you know, I share very personal, embarrassing stories in the book about things that have happened in my life People say, why do, you, why do you do that? I said, well, because if I want the reader to be honest with themselves, I got to be honest with them. And mm -hmm. I share all these things. So I really emphasize to reflect on your own life because there's no one, not one person that hasn't experienced trust violation, either in business, personally, and or both. But there's not one exception. 
No, you're right. And also just to quote again from the introduction, trust figures into every kind of relationship and venture. It is the determining factor that ultimately brings joy or sorrow, at least within those circumstances that we can select. Goes back to responsibility again. What you suggest is not necessarily new about accepting responsibility and you really own what happens to you in many cases. You can't blame it on all exterior or external forces or people. But at the same time, there are people who will come across you as being trustworthy and you may misread that. So how do you deal with that if you are by nature trusting and trying to use all of your discernment about whether to, well, you did it for 20 years, and then you found out that was, that was not right. So how does one go about figuring that part of it out? Well, it's, it's being responsible. I mean, you see and experience things every single day. And how you react to it, well, that's your choice. Right. I made some bad choices. I made some bad decisions. I saw things that were bizarre. You'll see all this crazy stuff. He was arrested for stalking a, a basketball coach, came up, created a phony email address, and it sent threatening emails to his basketball coach because his son was getting enough playing time. I don't know what he said in the email, but it was bad enough that I coached to go to the police, and the police searched. They were able to find where that email came from. It was a different name, a fake name, but it was this guy's house. Sick things. He naturally denied that he did it, but he did it four other times, and he did it to me also. And so this is a very sick person. I, and that was a lot of years ago, and I just never – really started to probe him. And so I was that was my fault. And I paid the price. Well, was he found guilty in a court of law? Yeah. Okay. He was. I wanted to make that obvious for the record if you're talking about someone who's no longer with us. Now, here's the thing that confuses me, and I'd like for you to explain it to our, our listeners and our viewers. So the name of the book, again, as I talk about it, and this is the interesting part, is that, well, first of all, it's trust is a double-edged sword. Trust me. And as I say, it's available at all the usual places Amazon, Barnes & Noble, etc. But the author, at least if you look it up, is Waywill. So could you explain the discrepancy between Waywill and Jeffrey Michelle? Well, that wasn't my choice. The publisher mandated that I could not use my name as author because they were concerned because I go into such detail of these heinous things this guy did that they were afraid they could be held liable in the, the fact that I'm putting in, you know, publishing it. So they mandated that I had to come up with a, uh, you know, a pen name and Waywill is a combination of my middle name, which is Wayne, and my son's middle name, William, hence Waywill. So I was trying to be clever. Okay, but now you're on my show, so I, you're making me liable as, as opposed to the book publisher. So you're, you're really not. But in other words, why is it now you're able to come out with your, your actual name as opposed to what's on the book? I never had fear of it. It wasn't my fear. I mean, I, I'm on a lot of interviews and stuff, and I not only say my name, I say his name. I have no hesitation, no no concern. This guy's getting sued by 10 different people. The Internal Revenue Service is after him. He might be going to jail on that. His wife went off the terrace. There's some, you know, the police looked at it. They didn't charge him with anything. His life is not good, and he's going to get what he deserves. The last thing he's going to do is come after me because I'm telling the story. He's, he's, in, he's in serious trouble. When you wrote the book, did you have a publisher in mind? How did that work? In other words, you wrote the book in a way a cathartic experience as we talked about a moment ago, but were you thinking of having it published once you wrote the book? I, I, that was my intention. I, this, was, this is my third book. My other two books are about networking, which is my passion. And I had Penguin do my first book, and I went to them, but they, they wouldn't do this particular book. And it was, it was more difficult. It is a controversial subject. You know, it is something that I'm calling a lot of things out. 
and I share my views and I talk about things that, you know, could bother people. So it's, you know, from a publishing perspective, it was, it was a challenging. I did get a publisher to do it. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't Penguin, which was, was, was my first choice. Right. But they're okay with you going out on a, on a, on a book tour and talking about well, it. They, they, they have no fear. They don't okay. care. Okay. Interesting. So when you first sat down to write the book, how did you organize it? There, there are so many elements to your story. How did you approach the organization of the book? Well, it was more of a research project, and it was also based upon reaction. As I was writing it, I was sending chapters to friends of people that I felt close to to get their reaction, to get their opinion. And sometimes reaction and opinion turned into more content or more ideas. And uh, that combined with reading everything that was out there on the subject trust, listening to whatever TED Talks I could find on the subject trust, and just looking at things and seeing things, I would I started coming up with different ideas. Like, by example, chapter two of the book is, should I buy when I'm sold? And it talks about <laughs> all these products on the market to us with fallacious representations. And there's not a shortage of that. It's, it's really right. quite incredible. Uh, in fact, I would tell you and your readers uh, and your listeners, there's an app, Y-U-K-A, Yuka. Get it on your phone. If you scan to this app, it enables you to scan products in the drugstore and supermarket. You scan the barcode, and it'll tell you from 1 to 100 if it's good or bad, and it'll tell you what the ingredients are that make it good or bad. So, by example, if you go to any drugstore, and all the suntan lotions you see that are in the front, they're all bad. They're all, they all have toxic ingredients in them, literally. And it's, it's actually incredible that, you know, this is out there because there's no regulatory body that pre- is preventing them from selling this product, and it is hazardous. You think there would be either Food and Drug Administration or some, organiz- or some agency of government would be regulating what you can put on your skin? You would think. Hmm. Not even the labeling, just, or they don't, they don't monitor either the labeling or the ingredients, either way. Nope. Okay. Until it gets extreme. You know, right, they, right. I mean, there, was a, there, was, there was a suntan lotion a year or so ago that was pulled from the shelves because it was directly related to cancer and people getting and they pulled they finally pulled one but they're all got bad ingredients name the app again for us please yuka y-u-k-a you'll see it looks like it's a little carrot in is their logo i just wrote it down so just to have it okay interesting i want to get back to the issue of responsibility you just said we are always sold things and here's a, an app that can help which is great but at the same time it's hard to be responsible for yourself on all levels because of the sheer, especially now with social media and additional advertising everywhere you go. It's kind of, and so you're bombarded with offers and you're bombarded with messages and you're bombarded with advertising images. You could spend the whole day going through things about what you want to buy, either food that would be safe for your family, clothes, cars, etc. So how do you realistically Maintain responsibility for yourself when you're overwhelmed with so many offers and images and advertising. Look, you know, it's 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 difficult because, as you say, you're bombarded. But we have a tendency to become somewhat consistent in our lives. I believe, you know, we eat typically the things that we eat. There's things that we just don't eat, uh, and I think that you become, you know, sort of a creature of habit. So. Question is, do you have good habits or bad habits? <laughs> True, you know, yeah, kind of, exactly. So, you know, so if you're, you know, if you're, you know, uh, obese and you're constantly eating fattening food, you know, that's not good for you. You, you know, it's not healthy. Right. You know, you're putting yourself in harm's way, but that's, you know, your well, responsibility. Jeffrey, I avoid 
I avoid mostly bad food. However, I am a chocoholic. So that's the one area where I accept responsibility for it. And But it's dark chocolate. So it's a, healthier than milk chocolate. Well, look, and, and I, look, I like cookies, but when I eat cookies, I eat one. Yeah. You know, like I, I right. have a whole package of cookies <laughs> and I'll just eat one. I literally stop. I don't, I don't overindulge. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a workout person. I'm in really good shape. So I'm mindful of you know, what I eat and how I take care of myself. My only real advice is I drink wine. And I, that's something that uh, I really love. But Well, wine can be healthy too in moderation now. If you're telling correct. me it's for one vice, that implies you're drinking a little too much wine, Jeffrey. So therefore, at times. At times. At okay, time. fair enough. I should point out for those of you who are watching that, uh, who are listening, I should say, that Jeffrey's wearing an old Beach Boys shirt. And I um, expect for him to any moment start singing I Get Around. But okay, never mind that. Let's get back to the book. So now you have the book completed. You show it to friends, I assume, and others to give you a, some feedback on it before you give it to the publisher. Was there any criticism by anybody that said you went a little too far in your condemnation, either of the ex-partner or that some of your recommendations or suggestions or observations were a little over the top? I, I Not only did I not get that, I got a lot of like, you know, wow, you know, just like open their eyes. I. I'll share one small quick story. I played tennis with this tennis pro, 26-year-old guy, very good looking. After the third time playing with this particular pro, I said, next time I come, I'm going to bring a copy of my new, my most recent book. Give him the book. And uh, I don't know, maybe five days later, he, he texts me and says, you changed my life. I go, whoa. And I, you know, you know, I didn't even actually respond to the text because I was playing with him the next day. So I get on the court and I walk up. I said, Julian, you know, that was pretty strong statement. He says, I want to show you something. He takes his cell phone and he shows me a picture of this beautiful woman that happened to be Russian. Now, this is down in Florida, in Miami. So caveat emptor, they say. <laughs> Russian, a little scary. So she's pressuring him nonstop about getting married. And he's been vacillating. And he decides one day he's going to, I'm going to do it. The next day he's not. And, his, and her mother's pressuring him. And they've been together for over a year. And he was really unsure. He read the book and he broke up with her. And he said to me, hmm. it made me learn and realize that in, in truth, I didn't like her. I didn't like her as a person. I didn't like the way she was. With me, you know, we got a long time, but I saw her tendencies. I saw how she was. And I didn't, I didn't realize, it, but you made me realize. And he said to me, I want to thank you very much. That, that was kind of a cool story. Absolutely. He didn't see the red flags until he read your book. Right. So it's right. You, you mentioned about that girlfriend of his. And you talk in the book about how one's looks and attractiveness affects our trust antenna. So well, uh, there's, would there's that a be chapter. a good example? No. The, the, okay, the, that's the fine. Chapter, but to that, you know, again, we talk about trust. Right. The, that chap the chapter you're referring to is titled is Beauty's in the Eye of the Beholder. And, you know, the interesting thing about very good-looking people, whether it's male or female, they get better jobs, they get more attention, they get more recognition. Uh, they get things more easily because of their physicality. You know, my argument is how far do you trust your physicality and how dangerous did that become? When could it go the other way where it works to your disadvantage? I will tell you unequivocally here in New York City, CEOs, most of which, many of whom I know, will not, will not hire very good looking receptionists. They won't do it. Why? The reason is because of the Me Too movement. One of these very pretty receptions claims some sort of sexual irresponsibility or harassment. Whether it's true or not, you're guilty by accusation. Literally, it's, it's a terrible thing. So there's where an example that a very attractive receptionist may have difficulty getting 
a receptionist's job. Sure. Well, in my own defense, the reason I reference that, as you mentioned about he broke up with his girlfriend, she was Russian. I made the assumption she was beautiful, and that may have influenced his prior commitment until he read your book. That's where I was going with she, it. Correct. She was, she was beautiful. Yeah. And she was, I mean, she was really beautiful. So obviously, that's an influencing factor. Right. So Jeffrey's suggestion, ladies and gentlemen, is to only date Plain people. <laughs> so, <laughs> no, you can plain. Yeah, exactly. I I think that uh, beauty does play a part in our culture in the sense that it can obfuscate things that are going on internally with the person, and you don't see it. What was your blind spot with your ex partner? Well, it, again, it was a twenty year relationship. So right. I was with him. He he didn't start off as a partner. He grew into it. I had another partner I broke up with in 2007, and he helped me tremendously take control of the company, and he was very attentive. And I also went through the god-awful divorce, which I talk about that in the book, this two chapter about marriage and divorce. And that was such a horrible experience, and he was so supportive and caring and helpful to me that I wound up building this implicit trust in him. And I just felt this high degree of comfort that he really cared and did the right things. And I was, you know, candidly remiss because there were so many things that came up that I saw and I just, I just didn't address them or outright ignore them. So it was my, my fault. Again, your own responsibility. Correct. But at the same time, and that's to my point, is that you had a long-term relationship with the person. So naturally, trust being as part of human nature, you're going to trust someone you, you're with, whether as a business partner or as a mate. You're going to trust that person a lot more than someone you just met or someone that you have a short-term relationship with. Correct. True. That's absolutely true. So uh, unless there's some major red flags now, I guess that's to the point. What, were you noticing any red flags anywhere along the 20-year relationship or was it just towards yes. the end? No, I saw, you know, I, there were things that bothered me. There were things in the way he handled things you know, or the way he responded that made me uncomfortable. But again, I just, I, I kicked the can. I, it's, you know, like that story I shared about the, the, the that basketball coach, you know, mm -hmm. I, I, I said, there's no way you would do that. That's insane. Who would do something? And I asked him, David, did you do it? Of course not. I would never do it. And he lied. He did do it because he did it again differently. And, you know, there was just other things he did. So I, I accepted his answers. And the reality was there were times I'd accept them and like, but it, it bugged me. I moved, eh, you know, I just, I, I kicked the can. How hard is it to, and maybe you are, but how hard is it to remain uncynical when you go through what you went through? Or are you, in fact, cynical, but at the same time still willing to meet people on their own territory and trust again? How does that work I'm for you? I'm, I'm never going to change from this perspective of trusting. I am a very trusting person. I like being a trusting person. I think it's, a, it's an attribute and, and not a weakness. The difference now is I'm much more aware. And I'm much smarter. And, you know, Ronald Reagan said it, referencing the Russians, trust, but verify. And that's really what you got to do. You know, and obviously it's subjective to the whatever specific thing. Mm -hmm. I'm just much smarter. And the one other, the, there's a, at the end of the book, there's a 10 commandments of trust. The number one commandment is don't, don't go against your gut feelings. Your gut feeling 99% of the time, it's spot on. It's right. And when you defy your gut feeling, invariably you're making a mistake. Yeah, I find that a lot. It, that, that hair on your neck suddenly gets up there when you meet someone, you know there's an issue, even if they seem to be beautiful, handsome, intelligent, effervescent. 
They have all of those elements, but there's something about them that your instinct or that the hair on your back of your neck raises up and says, now, nah, better stay away from that. And it's just, you're, you're right. It's the way to do it. Do you do extensive, I know you're not paranoid, but you mentioned about you're more cautious now. You never answered my question about whether you're cynical. We'll get back to that in a second. But do you do some element of research depending on who you're dealing with and for what purpose? So, for example, a personal relationship, you may develop a personal relationship with someone or a business relationship with someone. Do you do at least some modicum of research to make sure the old trust but verify, as you mentioned with Ronald Reagan, or do you, you can't just rely on what they're telling you. You must check things out even with just basic Google searches and things like that. It's, it's subjective. It depends on what it is. I'm a real estate guy, I buy properties, I deal with brokers, so I'm not really doing you know, analysis of brokers because they're just a middleman to bring me transactions. If I'm getting involved with somebody or someone's going to do something with me that's a commitment, whether, you know, like an investment, I, I do, I do a lot of research. I look at them. I, I, I look to see who they know that I know. Uh, so I'm, 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 you know, trying to cross the T's and dot the I's. What about the question about cynicism though? Do you have it or you don't, or you have a little bit of it or not? <clears throat> I'm, I'm, I, you know, the word has some flexibility as to what it means. I'm very cynical about what's going on in this country and what I, you know, what we're told, uh, the way things are. Uh, you know, I think we're, as I said earlier, we're in a terrible place in this country in so many regards. You know, here in New York City, we've got 110,000 immigrants that came in and, you know, see them on the street and they're, they're, you know, the, people are in trouble. You know, why do we have so many immigrants coming to this country? I mean, why did he open up the borders and do mm -hmm. what he did? It's for self-interest, of course, but it's, it's destroying. It's, it's, it's a real taxing thing. And it's, 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 it makes no sense other than his, you know, the agenda of politicians to get more votes. And also, too, it's so odd that in New York, particularly with 9-11, that you would not vet all these people coming across the border. That, I don't understand that from a national security perspective. It, it's, 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 it's not just New York. It's everywhere. I was, I had, I was taking a cab at the airport in Miami when I, last time I was down. And the, my driver was a Venezuelan gentleman who's been living there for said 2006, so quite a while. Nice guy, we're chatting, we start discussing this whole thing with immigrants. And he said in his country, Venezuela, they've, they've, they've let everybody out of the jails. They're bringing them to the border, and they're giving them a cell phone to say, walk across the border. So they're releasing everybody from the jails, and these people are coming into our country. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. What are the top three things you'd like people to know about your book? And I start off by saying this book's not about me. You know, it is about me, but it's more, it's about you. You know, and I, I, when I get people to come to me, one person's left me a voicemail saying this is the most important book he's read in his life. When I get feedback from people saying this really opened their eyes, uh, then I did something. You know, for me, I wrote this book to make a difference. I want to help people be much smarter about their lives and be cognizant about stuff they're not thinking about. That's so incredibly vital to our day to day. Cause as I said in the beginning, Everything that we do, the pillar of it's trust. We just got to be much smarter about it. So if I make a difference and I get responses like that, that's huge compensation. There's that bifurcation, though, in terms of trusting individuals and then trusting institutions. As you said, the country's in deep trouble. So you want the ability to trust government. You want the ability to trust people that sell you things, corporations, companies, etc. And yet we've seen evidence of that falling apart over time. Are you optimistic that that will change in the next five, 10 years? Well, 
I'm a little cynical right now. <laughs> <laughs> so you are cynical, um, okay. <laughs> so uh, I, I, I think that it starts at the top. You know, it starts with who's leading us and what their agendas are and are they doing the right thing or the wrong thing. And it, it starts with doing the right things. I mean, there's so many things that are askew in this country. You know, the list is endless. So that's got to change. You know, it's got someone's got to be a top that's, you know, has integrity that does the right things, not for their own particular or personal agenda. But New York City, it's, it's, it's uncomfortable to walk down the streets. I mean, between the, the immigrants, which you see them, but the homeless and the drug addicts all over the street, I literally find myself like dodging, you know, you know I see someone I cross over. And it's, you know, think about that. It's, inc- it's crazy what's going on. The crime is over the top. You know, it'd be nice if, you know, the police were able to enforce the laws. You know, they, they let them go. In New York City, you can go into a store and steal up to $1,000 of merchandise, and they can't do anything. What always fascinated me, and this, this is not just in New York, but politicians, mayors and city council members and county commissioners and county supervisors all have to live in the real world. And it would seem to me that they must encounter some of this in their daily lives and to not address that and also to protect the people that pay taxes because that's where they get their money from. You're not going to get taxes from homeless people. You're not going to get taxes from people that have just come here into this country and don't have a penny. So you're not going to be able to fund government unless you make it safe for the taxpayers who are generally business owners and productive citizens. So I don't understand why government at a local level doesn't see that and doesn't address those issues. It's beyond my purview, but maybe you have an answer. It's it's sickening. It's 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 outright stupidity. I mean, the, the I'm on the board of something called the CPR Foundation, is Community Police Relations. I'm very, I ba- I actually have a police badge. I'm mean, I'm going to events all the time. I'm on the streets dealing with people that are really you know in trouble. We are always giving things away through the law enforcement to them. And the, the amount of dislike and hate out there, not toward law, not toward police, even though there's a, that whole promote, you know, defund the police, all that insanity. It's wrong. Why, you know, you think about the stuff that's going on. Why is it getting done? You know, why, why can't, where's the common sense? And, you know, it's just because this self-interest takes control and just these insane movements. Look, look, look at the woke movement. Look what's going on in, in schools. I was with a friend uh, the other day in Boca, and his kid goes to a school. He's in you know, nice, nice neighborhood. And there are children walking around with tails, and they call themselves fuzzies, and they will not use the bathrooms. They have to have a litter box in the school. And this is kids that are like- This is in real life, okay, right? Amazing. This is, it's in, is this insane what's going on in this country? It's insane. So I am cynical. <laughs> well, but I trust you. So let's leave it at that. And my guest has been yeah, Jeffrey Michelle. He's author of Trust is a Double-Edged Sword. Trust me. It's available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and all the usual places. And you can follow Jeffrey on LinkedIn and YouTube. And Jeffrey, thanks for being on the show. It's been a real pleasure and an honor. Thank you for having me. And join us. Thank you. And join us every Thursday for a new schmear on Ira's Everything Bagel.